Okay, so my daughter's down in Reno, and she's playing in a tournament, right? And one of the parents told me, hey, there's going to be scouts at the tournament. And I was like, okay, okay, probably not Gino Ariema. But it led into a conversation about, well, does D3, do they even recruit? Like, you know, you did it for a long. And so that leads me into what I ask all the coaches. Give me a misconception about D3 that drives you nuts because that kills me. Yes, we recruit to D3. It's it's a thing. Well, the, the 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 biggest misconception is just that that we don't recruit, number one. And number two, that you can just show up or contact a, a division three coach on you know August 15th when school starts on August 24th, or walk into the coach's office on you know August 24th when school starts and say, Hey, I'd like to play basketball. And my first response back to that uh, student athlete is, Well, where have you been all my life? You know, where have you been all summer? <laughs> You had all summer to contact me. Did you just think you were going to show up and, and play college basketball? And so that whole deal is just is, is amazing to me. And then I, the other the other misconception that kind of leads into that is how good our level really is. Yes. This is not bookworms that only play on the weekend. These are all conference kids from across the country that might have like three inches too short at their position or three inch vertical that wasn't quite up to snuff. Right. But we could they can hoop. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I always say that the better players at Division three could have played Division one basketball bar none. OK, even the ones that aren't three, three inches on the vertical or three inches on the height. They, they're just they're here for a specific reason. Uh, and then I always tell guys, too, that, you know, listen, like when a guy says, well, I was all league. I said, well, yeah, this guy was MVP at this league, and this guy was all state. So, you know. Cross the Streams podcast. We are back, and this is the third edition of one of my one of my better ideas. I got to tell Ken, this was one of my ideas, and not just not just we didn't do it together, which we do a lot of on the pod. But this has been our, this is our left coast story, where I get to recreate recreate uh, reconnect with a lot of my buddies and colleagues and friends from my time as a Division Three head coach, and l- use our small platform to help them talk about their program, their philosophy, their coaching journey. Basically, it's it's a way for me to brag about my guys that I know are doing awesome things. Uh, and also taking into account that West Coast D3, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, women's basketball, volleyball, we're isolated from the rest of the country. You got to go across the damn Rocky Mountains to get right. to two leagues, and that's all there is. So today is no different. One of my longest time friends in the business, we probably played each other in my career 10 times coach like 10 times too many stupid enough to play each other every damn year because we're the only idiots that'll get on a plane and go north and south every other year but coach rich reed laverne the let welcome to the podcast sir excited excited to be here man excited so i sent you the questions up front and we don't have to go over them exactly as we go especially since we've been friends for so long now we'll probably get into tangents and sidebars anyway but this is your first full time out Give the audience, the Cross the Stream audience, your coaching career journey. You know, background, where you're from, where you've been. You can brag about Laverne, California now if you want to. But give a, give us the story of how you're here today with the Leopards gear on. Yeah, so uh, graduated at University of Laverne. Uh, played there two years. Prior to that, I was a redshirt at Cal State LA. Oddly enough, played with uh, LeVar Balls too. Uh, brothers who I'm close to the, the ball family, but uh, in any effect, so I did that red shirted, 
uh, didn't like it, went to a JUCO East LA college for two years, and then ended up at Laverne because it was a place that was close to home. My mom had gone to school there, knew I wanted to coach. So I just bothered the two gentlemen I played for, Terry Bowles of Dan Moleville, about how to get into coaching. Uh, spent one year as a women's GA, oddly enough, because I couldn't get a job because I had no experience. And um, worked for Julie Klein, who was the then head coach. And then that kind of started the journey. Two years at Cal Poly Pomona with a guy that's still there, still there now. Uh, three, And then I spent the next five years at D1 level, three at LMU, one at Northern Colorado, one at Sac State. Got tired of chasing it, moved three times in 13 months. I said, hey, enough of this. I always wanted to be a small college head coach. The job at Laverne happened to open the year. I was at, uh, at the end of the Sac State season. And I said, why not throw my hat in the ring? And somehow I fooled them into hiring me. And uh, here you are, you know, 16 going on to 17 years later. Um, I'm still a leopard. So that's that's kind of been my journey. When you that's funny, you know, as much as we as much and as often as we talk, I didn't know the East L.A. part. That's where my pops went to Juco. Oh, wow. East L.A. Yeah. Crazy. And oh, that's wow. the one that's yeah. been on the Netflix, too. Right. So you've been oh, yeah. watching that series. Yeah. Well, that's the crazy part is, is, is Coach Mosley and I are friends. I followed Coach Mosley, which is, oh. uh, you know, it was a point guard in between he and I. But uh, he and I have been long friends just out on the road recruiting when he was at Cal State Bakersfield. And he the ELAC connections. So, so uh, it's just, it's a weird deal to see ELAC and, you know, I changed in that locker room. So it's just, it's eerie, man. It's, yes. It's, I it's bet. Weird. I bet. Yeah, Once yeah. again, basketball never fails to connect people. It's like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, but it's like seven degrees of who you, who did you play for or who did you play with? Yeah. And we'll probably get to a connection at some point. Sure, you said sure. in there, man, and we've talked about it, but I like your perspective and being able to share with folks. Um, and you're very similar to my my former colleague at uh, Willamette, Peg Swadener, having done the D1 thing. And as you described it, chasing it and then settled on you not settled is the wrong word. Like, you know what? D3 fits better. You know, D3 is where my passion is. Talk about that. What is chasing it? What's kind of the difference? Because, I, you know, when I bring Peg on, I want her to do the same thing. But I, I love your perspective on it. So for me, it was. I've always felt like I didn't get into it to go division one. I. I always wanted to be a small college head coach. So division one, division two, division three, my uncle was an assistant at Cal State LA. So I used to watch that old CC2A league when, you know, Bakersfield and Riverside and all the, you know, the coaches. And that's when I fell in love with coaching. Um, and so I wanted to be at a, you know, quote unquote, small school, not necessarily on the big stage. And I kind of fell into the D1 thing. And I just felt like, it was easier to go down than it was up. And that's no disrespect mm. to division three. Now look at who they're hiring. Now they're hiring all yeah. guys with division one or NBA experience, but I thought it was a great opportunity for me to learn. Cause it was just all basketball all the time. So I'm thankful for my time there. But when you move three times in 13 months mm. and your goal is to, to be a head coach, I thought at that point, after being an, being an assistant for nine years, I was ready to, to call my own timeout. So I wanted to try that. And the Division Three student athlete model kind of fit mm. fit better with what I was doing. I was fortunate because all the schools I worked for I, at the D1 level, LMU, Northern Colorado, and Sac State, the mission of those schools all kind of fit who I was. Mm. So what I got tired of chasing was, well, do I take this next D1 job that I, I don't fit just to stay D1? And that's when it, it I said I stopped chasing that and said I want to go do that. Yeah, yeah. Happens. No, that's fantastic. Throughout these, and I'm assuming we'll get into it later, you know, all your different stops into your long career at Laverne shaping your philosophy and how you go about it. But now give us the 30 second timeout version. So let's say now we got our audience is not just cross the streams fans, but now we got maybe future leopards, future parents 
talking about what is here at Laverne, we on offense and we on defense. I know the answers because I've had to scout your ass for a decade. But go ahead and go go ahead and share style of play if they're coming to play for you. Yeah. Well, whatever it was that we were doing, you 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 whooped my behind the last three or four times we played, so it must not have been working. So on offense for us is we want to play as fast as we can play without being out of control with pace and space. Uh, you know, moving the ball around kind of more of a team game, kind of like you see the Warriors. We've been trying to play like that kind of more of a pro style offense, ball screen in and out of things quickly. Defensively, we're basically man to man and we want to keep you in front of us, make you shoot a contested shot um, from distance if you're not a shooter and rebound the basketball. And then we're off to the races uh, on the other end. Uh, and then obviously, based on the time and score, we'll dictate if anything else that we do differently. But I think it's a fun style to play in. Uh, for, for the players because it relies they rely on each other both, on both mm-hmm. ends of the court. And, you know, if, when, when we have good talent, it really allows a lot of freedom. When we don't, we've got to be a little bit more restricted. Walk me through the why with that, with what you did, with your elevator pitch for philosophy. Is it, could you, could you, old you, the player you, play for you? Is it based in all the mentors you had? Because, I mean, I know for me in my, in my journey, right, I played for a Hall of Fame guy in Gordy James, but I never wanted to coach to his style. I, I respected the hell out of him, so I played in a flex offense where we're going to reverse yeah. it 18 times and dribbling was outlawed. Then I respected <laughs> it. We won with it, but I never wanted to coach that way, right? But I know other people, like, I played for this guy. He really taught me the value of this system. So walk me through the evolution, evolution of your why. So the why is pretty simple. It's a collection of everything that I liked as a player and all the things that I've taken from guys that I respect, like the Mm. the little parts of it. So offensively, we're not necessarily similar to one, one person. It's, it's, it's what I did at the division one level when all you're doing is looking at style of play and what you want to do. The game is different. And Mm. so I developed that before the media timeouts came to our level. So you start thinking about the games in a, in a possession by possession type deal. So for example, real quick, the guy at, at Loyola Marymount was incredible at special situations, out of bounds underneath, jump ball, side OB, you know, what we run, you know, free throw, all that kind of stuff. He was incredible. So, you know, take a little three or four things from, from him. Uh, Greg Kamansky at Cal Poly Pomona, motion offense. You know, that's our motion basic principles. He was incredible at teaching motion. Uh, my defensive philosophy comes from my uncle about the man to man and the types of things that we do. And then I had a couple of assistants who've helped me kind of reshape that and reform that based on our talent. Mm-hmm. We probably would be a little bit more aggressive on that side of the ball, you know, if we had, you know, longer athletes and that, that types of thing. So it's more of a collection of that. Mm-hmm. I also like for me, it, it allows me that because we can't pick and choose because we're not giving scholarships. I can't say, Hey, every year I'm going to have a big guy. So I'm not actually playing the way that I would like to play 100% of the time because of that so mm. it's, it's more a combination of that and then i think your conference dictates mm. how you great play. call i mean great you're so unique uh and so like for us to be able to have a chance to be successful we have to have certain elements in what we're doing to give us a chance to compete not only just with the top half of our league but the league the rest of the league that we're battling with and let everybody know the name of your league. Talk about it, because I, I know you and I clearly know what you're yeah. referring to. But I want more of the more of the country to know a little because you guys in the last couple of years have been yeah. really, really good down there. Yeah. So we're in the Southern Collegiate Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, the SCIAC. And it's comprised of nine teams, um, you know, some high academic schools and some schools kind of in between. 
Uh, it's an incredible league. We, we had up until one point, at one point we had three NBA coaches and then we were down to two and now we're down to one. But one of them, obviously everyone knows Greg Popovich and Mike Budenhosen, who both were at Pomona Pitzer. Uh, at one time, Mike Dunlap, who was an old Cal Lou head coach, you know, had been an NBA head coach. And so we've got a long uh, history with guys who've won, you know, four or five, 600 games at our level. And I've also ascended to the highest levels. But one of the things that's unique about our conference is that we're all in one state all in Southern California, and the, our furthest trip's an hour and a half away. And so when you talk about style of play, what we do, you know, we're on top of each other, so there's no secrets. I mean, it's literally, <laughs> by the time you get to conferences, throw out the calls, everyone knows where, what you're running, and they go stand in that spot, and they're basically coaching your players who should know the players better than <laughs> they do. Hey, you're, you're, you're wrong here. Your coach called, you know, thumbs down. You're supposed to be standing right here. So it makes it fun. It also makes you, you know, get gray hair, but it's a great league, great coaches league. Everyone coaches to what they do really well. And it just, it's, it's probably, I'm getting my doctorate in basketball because just yeah. when I think I'm starting to get a grasp of it, you know, we get an influx of new coaches or someone will change just a little thing. And it'll make you have to think about the game on a different level. Are you the, the longest tenured head guy now? No way. So no. the funny Who thing you got? about that. Oh, Chapman. So no, so think when I first got in the conference 17 years ago, I thought I'll never be the longest tenured guy. You have right. guys like these won't mean anything to your audience, but like Rich Ryder, who was at Cal Lutheran, who won over 400 games. You had Rock Carter, who was at Whittier, who had won over 300 games. You have these guys that were, you know, coaching yeah. for a long time. Jim Ducey, you know, at yeah. Redlands. And so you go on and on and on, and you start looking at it and go, man, I'll never be. And then all of a sudden, guys start retiring here and there. Longest tenure coach in our league is Charlie Katz. Oh, Cat, I mean, yep. No, yeah, he's been at, yeah, he's been at Pomona for, you know, 30 plus years. Then you've got Brian Newhall at Occidental. And then you've got uh, Mike Bukowski, who they've entered the league. But if you talk about tenured head coaches, yeah. he would be in that 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 deal. But um, I'm the th I'm the third. The if third. you don't include Mike, if you include Mike, I'm the yeah. fourth. So it's which yeah. is it's it goes fast, doesn't it? Yeah, hey, let's take our first break and we'll come back and, and talk talk about your guys and, and what you're looking for for people that come to Laverne. The Cass I Own Foundation, a sponsor of Cross the Streams Podcast, exists to raise money for Alzheimer's and dementia research, caregiver support systems, and we encourage you to join our first annual Cass I Own Foundational Invitational Golf Tournament, July twenty second, twenty twenty three, at Prior Creek Golf Club. For more information on the tournament and or how to just help the foundation raise money to fight Alzheimer's dementia, visit our website, CassIonFoundation.org. Cassione Foundation.org. All right, coach. Guys who play for you can be described with, and you, first of all, you go with what you want, right? And I'll, mm -hmm. I think I can validate having played against you so many times, but I'm very interested. I wrote down already what I thought you were going to say, but you tell me if I'm doing my job the way I want to, my guys can be described as. Ooh, man, you know, versatile, uh, tough, hard nosed, play, play well with each other. Uh, you know, understand how to play basketball. Um, you know, they, they get it. They get, they understand our offense, our defense, and they're not thinking about the game. They're reacting. So they're not robots. Um, I mean, that, that's the simplest form. They, they understand our system. They own it. They grasp it, and they and they go. They go out and play and play with joy and and have a blast. It would be the simplest way of putting it. 
Yeah, I so I put tell me what you think. I put gritty, together, and resilient. No doubt. Right. Because no I, I think it. that's what I've experienced. And I also know what you what you demand from them, right? Right. I, I also okay. Now take the now you're one of the kids. They played for you. Let's say they played for you a decade ago. And now they're talking to a recruit and they say, Hey, Coach Rich is ABC. What do you hope they say? What are they gonna say? Well, they, well, they'll say that the first thing they'll say is that I'm demanding without being demeaning, that I love them, okay, and that that by the time that they finish, if they can, you know, stick with the program and they'll make it through, that they'll have it'll be the best experience that they've ever had in their life. That's that's the hope. That's what that's what I've kind of gotten from the guys yeah, that I've yeah. been around. Uh, yes. One of the things I'm really excited about is I'm going to my my seventh wedding of former players. So that's kind of what so the, cool. yes. the, the things that now that I've done this for a little bit of time, that's what I'm getting from the guys. And so that kind of goes back to what, you know, we talked about with the togetherness, the grit, like those guys are still united even after mm -hmm. basketball. So they're going to get something outside of basketball. Basketball is just the vehicle with which I'm using to help them get where they're trying to go. Mm -hmm. And I would like to think to add to that, that they would feel supported in their journey to get where they're supposed to go. Cause the demanding, not demeaning part comes from, I'm just holding them accountable to where they want to go. They can change the course of what they want to do at any point. Mm. So I think that's allowed me to kind of navigate through the different yes. decades and eras of how kids have changed throughout this time. Right. So, how have you refined, like, talk to me about the evolution of your toolkit. Because I love your phrase, demanding, not demeaning. How have you gotten better at that? Because I know I we probably when we both first started, we probably both would have said something similar. And then I know I would have been awful in the actual truth of it. I would have been over the like, F this, God, you know, I would have been because the scoreboard sure. would have dictated me in my first year, especially. Right. Sure. How have you evolved and grown in your ability to live to that yourself? Because so you've got a voice now like you can get intense. Sure, sure, right. sure, sure. I, you know, I think in anyone that's seen any of our teams play will, if you come and take a snapshot of any coach, regardless of if that coach is sitting there and he's he's zen like, you know, and he's got his legs crossed, you, you, you there's a perception that he's got it all together. Well, that fire that's burning inside that guy is the same as the guy who might be stomping around. And so what I've mm. always tried to do is, you know, I've always tried to be my authentic self. And so early in my career, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm. I was, I almost, if I look back on the old me, I would say not on purpose. It was more of, I was, I was acting as if I thought I needed to act because that was what I was around, even though I knew who I was. And yeah. over time, the longer that you're a coach, you develop as you age through it, you learn. And so like for me in my toolbox, luckily I was able to, I had the tools to say, well, who am I? What am I about? Uh, therapy helps, you know, mm -hmm. people have that misconception, but like learning more about myself, like I'm not the same person I was, as I always told our student athletes. And I tell them now when, you know, if you're 18, I say, what, what did you feel like? What was important to you when you were 11? If you change every seven years what, at 11, what was important? And so that's what I did with myself. So if I look at 31 year old me, who was a head coach at 31, who that person who hired me needs to have their head checked, <laughs> you know, and then look at me at 38, you could see the growth. But when what was important to me at 31, at, as opposed to what was important to me at 38, at 31, I was, you know, trying, I just bought a home, you know, I wanted mm -hmm. to keep coaching. It was my, you know, it's my passion yeah. then, it was my it's my passion now. But being yeah. able to continue to do that and wanting to kind of put, pour everything I had into it. 
So that part hasn't changed. Just the way I go about it has, has definitely changed. And I think age helps you with that growth, different experiences you're having as a head coach. I think at 31 until now, it's like, I didn't know. And I was afraid, I wasn't afraid of saying I didn't know. I was just trying different things to see what would work within the structure of what I was building. Yeah. 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 I love the every seven years. And I know you've told me that before, but I love that because it is so true, right? 30, similar to you. When I was 29, I was like, my status will be entirely dependent upon the job title in front of my name. Right. And then when you get to 36, all these different things evolve and change. I love that. Do you share that seven year thing with your guys like that? I do. I talk to them about it. I I talk to them about the seven year, what I call like the seven year itch, you know, every seven Mm. years. And then I talk to him about what I call polo envy. I remember going to the final four and looking at my shirt and then going, okay, my shirt says, what do you university? And then that other person's shirt said the best university in the world and having that envy. And, you know, eventually I realized I had grown to the point where I was comfortable with who I was and where I'm at. I started wearing no logo polos because Mm. it didn't really matter. I, I, you know, and so you have to go through that journey to yeah. get to that point. And so I look back at, you know, 31 year old me, 32, 33, 34, because I still hear all those stories when I go to the weddings and we have our alumni games. And it's funny, yeah. I, I'm so amazed and so proud of our young men for being mature enough to handle me when I probably, you know, yes, would cringe if I had to go watch that. But they, you know, yeah. they all said the same thing. Coach, we knew you cared. Doesn't make everything I did right, but they knew that right. I was trying to help them. So I'm lucky that that message got through for me to still be here today. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I was at yesterday, one of my assistants and I um, was at one of our guys doctoral graduation parties, right? Very similar to what you're talking about the weddings and watching like six of our guys. And at the time, six of the women's basketball team, they all had created this really close family. And the two of us were just sitting back, you know, not coaching anymore, but just with a cold beverage just witnessing like look at the evolution of these kids right it's not because i push this button or that button but we create the space right hopefully we do it in a way that allows them to grow and then if you do it right you get to sit back with the coors light and just watch them be awesome human beings right no doubt Uh, yeah yeah yep 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 the joy is them coming back yes give me your okay let's go Traditional recruiting thoughts, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, choose your own adventure. What's, what's, what's Laverne? What's the shoe company we're affiliated with? We are affiliated with whoever gives us the best deal. <laughs> we, uh, I love it. We, we have Jordan, our home jerseys were Jordan brand. Cause we like okay. that style. We, yes. our away jerseys were Nike. And then we have a, um, an orange set, which is kind of our throwback and that had cursive writing. And it was a Nike kind of. That's I've never style. seen your oranges one. Those are sick. Because you That's guys dope. wore that, the, the, the maroon or the red or whatever. Yeah, it doesn't, so that would be something. Right. <laughs> so that, that was our deal. We usually save that for special occasions. But no, honestly, like with that stuff, I'm all about what the guys like. Yeah. You know? uh, and they I let them choose and they like the different styles. And so I said, why? Why only be, you know, one brand? Yeah. Um, we have a company we work with, BSN, which allows us to order any of the, you know, the marquee names yeah. that we need to order. And so that's kind of what we've done. Tell me facility flow now. So you're, you, you commit to Laverne, you're on campus. Where, what's the flow of the day for a kid? Obviously he's going to end up and you have to talk about, how do I even describe them? I want to say circus tent, but I don't want you to think I'm demeaning your facility. No, 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 it's it so a, unique. It's so listen. unique. Listen, I got three ways to describe it. So we'll, yes. we'll, hopefully you won't have the FCC on you about right. this. Okay? 
it, it, you can describe it as a circus tent because it is a tent building. And some yep. there's some days that I start singing that ringing brothers Barnum and Bailey circus because <laughs> 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 there's some crazy stuff that goes on. What <laughs> is a tent? Uh, if you've ever been a DIA airport, Denver International Airport, it's the same tent structure. Most people step on our campus and go, oh, it was modeled after Denver. And I say, no, no, ours was built in 1975. You were first, the pioneers of so, this whole thing. And, and the company that built the tents is all excited because the tents aren't supposed to still be there. And now they they're, they're, they want to, you know, attest to this monumental structure that still exists. So it's a tent structure. It's also been described as some of Madonna's old outfits for some of our listeners that know some of Madonna's old outfits that were inappropriate. The in Vogue videos, maybe? Yeah. In Vogue, yeah. there you go. The Madonna yeah. cone. So uh, it's a great building. It's it's a great shooting background. Too good, in, in my opinion, because visiting teams have no problem making shots on this, <laughs> as I witnessed over the years. Yep. And it, it it's, it's really a multi-use facility. The flow of the day for our guys is pretty unique. We practice 12 to 2. So we build, they build their class schedules in and around that. So they can take some morning classes. They can take some evening classes. Our weight room is downstairs. Uh, our gym is upstairs. Our locker room is next to the weight room, right next to the athletic training room. So like the flow and the, the, the way our day works is easy. Behind our bleachers is where our film room is. And so we literally don't waste a minute being able to just kind of get in and get out. And we kind of maximize every minute because of that 12 to two time slot, because our women go after us two to four, and then volleyball goes five to six. I am so, so makes, jealous of the 12 to two. Oh, it's How, a, did you have that from the start? Did you have to work with like registration to, to craft this? Because I, in my 14 years, I would have committed crimes to have that 12 to two. Well, so the funny thing is I fell into it. I got to Laverne. Oh. The time slots were 12 to two, two to four, four to six. And every year they would rotate. Well, the year I got there, our volleyball team, which has historically been really good, and then our women's basketball, who was who was better than us at the time, uh, they would fight over the time they wanted. Nobody wanted the 12 to 2 slot. So I just kind of sat there in the very first meeting as a head coach, and one of my mentors said, hey, man, sometimes just be quiet and let, let everyone else kind of battle things yeah. out. And so they were battling over the 2 to 4, 4 to 6, and they whatever time those two ended up going was great. So then the next year, I'm like, man, I really like this 12 to 2 slot. Hopefully I can get it next year. Yeah. And sure enough, they didn't, they don't want that 12 to two slots. So I've just kind of fallen into it and I love it. Oh, I love man. it for so many reasons. Yes. The that's, that's an, a, I love, I thought I, I over the year talking to my staff, like, God, if we could find an 11 to one or 12 to yeah. two, but then just how, how our place was set up would be really hard for the guys. But that now that it's the norm there, I love it. No wonder we lost recruits to you guys. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back. Take our second break. Cross the Streams podcast is brought to you by Teams of Men, LLC. We exist to empower head coaches of male sports teams to enlighten their young men to the possibilities of reimagined manhood. Follow our journey. Find out ways to partner with us. Teamsofmenllc.com. Teamsofmenllc.com. All right. Yeah, I think we we did a we did a great job outlining like the the end product, like the five years after they're done scoring buckets for you, and you yeah, see yeah. these husbands, these fathers. What does that pathway to success look like? I'm a first year. I was excited. I want to play there, but like everybody in 2023, I'm pretty much assuming by October I'll score 30 a game and it'll be pretty easy, right? But what is the actual pathway that I know you and your staff do a good job uh, showing kids, and then it's their job, right, to follow it. 
Well, I think it's pretty simple. I mean, that's not anything mind blowing. It's probably not anything you've done with all the teams you've coached and kind of what you're doing with your teams and men's stuff, which I really admire, by the way. Uh, We've had a lot of conversations about that. But the the first thing I do is I just sit down, I get on a whiteboard. I'm a visual guy. And I say, what is it that you want to accomplish? Tell me what you want. And we start with the want, which is the why. Okay. Mm. And so then once we outline, you know, what do you want to accomplish in your basketball journey? What do you want to accomplish in your academic journey? What do you want to accomplish maybe in your career, you know, three, four, five, six years down the road. And we talk about that. And we talk about from there, the things that they can start doing now, what they need to do in the you know, intermediate, and then what they need to be thinking about long-term. And we kind of work backwards to let's start with today. Mm. Okay. And then we kind of come up with an agreement. It's not anything that's written. It's more along the lines of how do you want me to coach you? How do you want me to mentor you? How do you want me to, to, to communicate with you so that we can help you get where you want to be. And then from there, it's just Kip, as you know, it's a constant check-in. It's mm. the, how are you doing? Um, it's the arm around them. It's, it's letting them know that, that I'm here for them and, you know, that I love them. And, and we talk a lot about love in our program um, and trying to break down some of those barriers and walls and mm-hmm. getting people to connect. And, and it starts with them kind of sharing what they want to do with the group, which is our oh, team. Oh, yes. And that's, so that's not, not, you would think in a team setting, like that's not a big deal, but it is. That's so powerful that they, it's a vulnerability moment for me to tell all of you, I have this vision of myself that maybe you all don't see yet, right? That's awesome. I love that. Keep going. Yeah. So like for, I, you know, what I found over the years is that we, that, that teams communicate less than they ever have. Mm. And the things that they communicate less, they may, they may check in more, but they communicate less. And here's what I mean. The check-in is, you know, Hey, I'm missing weights today because, you know, I've got a doctor's appointment in the group chat, right? Okay, great. The communication is, Hey man, I, I really want to be all conference. Hey, I really, I'm really struggling right now with X, Y, and Z. Um, Hey, I'm not feeling at my bet. Like the communication part. Mm -hmm. Hey, I don't like that you did that. I don't blah, blah, blah. Right. And so that's the part that I think holds people back from accomplishing their hopes and their dreams and trying to get where they're trying to go. So when I get on that board and I start talking about the why and what do you want and all that, that's allows me to kind of connect with them so that they feel comfortable communicating with me and then communicating to the group. And so we try to break down those barriers as best we can, because a lot of times when they're sharing time and space to me, playing video games next to your buddy and not really talking is not mm-hmm. always the most effective form of communication. It's great to yeah. check in, but it's mm-hmm. not the most effective. So that's, that's day one. Yeah. That's year one. That's it's, it's really myself, the student athlete, the student, the player, whatever term you want to use, getting to know each other, getting into the mud with each other and, and trying to figure this thing out together. Mm-hmm. Would you say, and I, I don't want to, cause even though we are getting older now, we used to be the young kids on the block, right? <laughs> no I, cause I don't want to, I don't want to use a broad brush for this generation, right? Cause yep. I, we've both encountered yep. kids in this generation that are fantastic. Do you sure. think they don't see, I feel like they, and I think I talked to Mako about this, or maybe it was Chad. I think they still see the mountaintop we did when we were headed towards something. I just don't know if they see the, 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 the stairs there. Like, I think they think they, they think they want to get to the same success, but maybe there's a lack of awareness of, well, it might take a while. And that doesn't mean you're a failure that you didn't get there by the end of the month, but it's like, no, I'm, let me show you. I like how you're giving them agency to say, I want this. And then you're saying, well, I'm going to coach you to get there, but it might be a process. 
So I, you know, it's so funny because I think each generation before would say that the next generation is lazy in comparison yes, to right. work level. Yes, right. So, right. you know, I'll give you an example. My mom worked at 14. She was working a real job at 14 years old and going to school and in high school and yada, yeah. yada, yada. So I had a, I've had a job earlier than our players now have had a job. So I think that's as you progress through generations, that's uh, going to happen. But yeah. then the perception becomes lazy or this or that. I, I think the one challenge that that they're facing right now is the mountaintop is there. They can see it. And the thing that they have that we had to either learn or really search for is all the information is right in their hands. Mm. And one of the things you said earlier, you asked a question about two, what's in my toolbox. And that's what I feel like our parents did a great job of passing down from the generation they got is how to develop the tools in your toolbox. Yeah. Yeah. And so I find myself uh, as I've aged to go back and go like, well, thank goodness my mom, my teachers, my aunts, my uncles who are all teachers or in the military taught me how to teach and how people learn mm -hmm. because that's mm -hmm. never going to go out of style. So I think right. that's where kind of disconnect comes because they can go on YouTube and they can figure out how to fix a squeaky door where, you know, I remember my grandfather handing me a manual going, well, figure it out. FIO, right. FIO, yeah. yeah. figure it out. Okay. So I have to sit there and, you know, read the manual or look in the encyclopedia or go to the dictionary. Well, they have all that information. So I think it's really more important now because there's so much false information out there. Mm -hmm. There's some discernment they need of what's, oh, what's a and true. So they got to go through and they got to go, well, what's boom, boom, boom. This is true. This is this part of this is true. Well, we can do that. We just naturally do that. And I think that's where they're struggling a little bit. And that's, I think, where we help is yeah. be able to say, well, let's be logical about this. Let's take a minute. Let's step back. Let's detach from it. Let's. And so I think that's yeah. where getting the mountaintop It's always been windy, but I think yeah. they're looking for, is there a back route uh -huh. to get up there? Yes. Yes. Is there a hack? Right. And I don't yeah. blame them. I get it. Cause if there was a hack to stop ball screen, I would have been, I would have been dialing in. Let me press this video. Right. Uh, talk right. about this. It doesn't have to be just this year. It can be in general. How do you, or the players or your staff, how do you define success year in and year out? Because I know it's a tough one, right? Because the scoreboard, yes, I, we all want that goddamn thing to say what we want it to say. Yeah. And unfortunately, not all of us can get it to do that the way we want. So talk about your the balance and the measurables. So it's crazy, right? Because I'm sure most coaches have read or read a John Wooden book from, from front to back, right? And what's your definition of success, pyramid of success, all that. And I think my definition of success has changed throughout the, my mm -hmm. time. Except in, in, in one area. Okay. And so it is, I, I asked them the same question. I ask him when they come in and then when they leave, I ask them what type of experience they want to have. And then I ask them when they're done, tell me about your experience. Mm. And if their eyes light up and they go, man, I got more out of this than, than I ever thought. Or, you know, I mean, and you can yeah. tell that they've, yep. To me, that's a that if if you're not winning the championship, we can't win a championship every year. Right. I'll take that. Wow, uh, that's really good. You know you what I mean? No. Yeah, yeah, man. I want them to win a champ. I want listen, I want them to win a championship. Not for me. It's for uh -huh. them. I tell them, listen, if I go out and I win a championship, it's not gonna change my life. Right. I'm committed to what I'm committed to. But a championship might change their life because it might change the life of of a young man who says, Man, I, I was a part of something special and it may propel them. To yeah. go do something even greater in their life because yeah. they have that experience. 
The yeah. same way, even though I've never won a championship, I have that feeling that I get to walk through life. So if they get that at the end, yeah, of their their th- you know three, four, two, whatever years, then I feel like that's as successful as you could have been without having won it. No, that's so good, man. And I I know we've always had you know we've been pretty locked in in our in our approaches to to what this is about. But even in, you know in my experience this these last couple of months in in being let go, none yeah. of my players that texted me texted me the score of a game. And we right. and like you, we had big wins. We beat a number two team or we snapped it. Right. Not one of them texted me, coach, thank you for 68, 62. Thank you for 90 to 85. That's the exact thing you mentioned, coach. Thank you for this, for me as a man. Thank you for this experience. You know, I mean, all the things, and sure. you're so right. I love how you got, and it's, it's not simple, but it's clarity. Like you, I, I asked you what you wanted. Tell me if we could, if we delivered in that big realm. And that's, uh, I think that's sustainable. Cause I don't know if the scoreboard's sustainable. We can't all be coached. Hey, right. We can't all have that experience. No. Well, bottom line is this. I remember, I remember in part of my, you know, when you go through applying for head jobs and I've applied for a lot of, I had a lot of interviews and you're forced to kind of rethink your philosophy or who you are and all that. And I, you know, I look at what I said when I was, you know, 29 trying to get a job and like what I would say now at, you know, 47 going on 48. And, and the bottom line is, well, who am I? What am I about? Uh Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, we had a really good year one year when we, uh, we won 16 games. I think we ended up to your place and somehow we pulled that one out and uh, beat you guys. We should have lost that game. And that group was so special because they were so together, so united where I didn't feel like I was coaching them. I was along for the ride. Mm. It was after that season, you know, because I always had a belief that, Winning and losing doesn't define me. And I believe if you're a person of faith that that'll be tested. And so after that year, I felt no different kid than uh, the year before when we had gone 11 and 14. Yeah. We went 16 and 10, losing the conference semifinals, you know, had a chance to go into a tournament that I felt no different as a coach. And I said, man, thank uh, God I put my value in relationships and building and not in yeah. 16 and 10, because right. I would have, I would have been the emptiest feeling in the world. Yeah, that's how I based my self-worth as a coach and Mm -hmm. as a man. Right. And that was kind of the final nail in the coffin for me of like that last bit of toxic masculinity or careers. Mm. Yeah. You know, even though I thought I was about others, but I was really, you know, I mean, we saw our egos. That kind of put my ego in its proper place for me. It was that's really that's awesome. And that was that team's gift to me. Yeah. And they didn't even know it. I, they didn't even know that, but they, that was, that was not kind of the end of a, of a journey to get to kind of who I want to be for the next, yes. however many years I get to coach or fortunate enough to coach this game. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so powerful. How can people follow you this year? They listen today. They're excited. They want to keep how, where do they go? You, the team, the website, the Twitter. Well, they can go to, things. they can go to uh, our Twitter handle, which is UOB men's basketball. I don't tweet. My assistant does it. I have a Twitter. I don't tweet. No, you sure don't. No, you sure don't. I don't. You know, I'm not a social media guy. Uh, uh, you know, and it's not anything against social media. They want to follow me. That You know, they can follow our team on our website, leopardathletics.com. Okay, our games are all live stream. They can follow our social media pages, our Instagram, our, our TikTok and all that. But if they really want to follow us, come out and support. You know, mm. I think that's what makes sporting events the best in the world is that. So that's why people still love sport. Is yep. because we get together and see real life drama played out in real life, not on a screen. Yeah. And so 
anyone who wants to come out and support, uh, you know, please do. They can always hit me on email and I try to do my best to get back to people. Um, and that's pretty man, it. brother. I love it. Coach Rich Reed, Laverne, the lips. Thank you, sir. So good.